You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. All right, now joining us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Steelers guard Trey Essex. Let me give you some background on Trey. He's from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He lettered in football and basketball in high school and actually helped Paul Harding High School win the 2A Indiana High School State Championship. He played his college ball at Northwestern, where he started every game as a freshman at tight end. He was named to the Big Ten All-Freshman team. He moved over to tackle prior to his sophomore year. He was named to the All-Bowl team following his performance in the 2003 Motor City Bowl. He was a third-round draft pick by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2005, and he played in the league from 05 to 2012. All but his last season was in Pittsburgh. He finished up in Indianapolis. He helped the Steelers to three Super Bowl appearances, winning two in 2005 and in 2008. And he's a fantastic follow on Twitter, folks, at TreyDay79. And we're honored to have him with us tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Trey, Chris, and Rob, thanks for coming on Hi, the show. Trey. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's my it's my pleasure to be here. So, Trey, I got to start by getting your thoughts on Ben Roethlisberger's official retirement announcement today. What did you think about uh, Ben's announcement, and what was it like playing alongside him? I mean, like I said on, on Twitter, it, even though I knew it was coming and they had to fix send-off at home and you know, he's played 18 years, and everybody saw the writing on the wall. And it's still, it's still, I don't know if it was a shock to the system, seeing those official words, seeing him with his family, uh, his lovely family, and uh, him, him reading that and seeing the highlights go along with it. It's it still, it still kind of hurt, you know. Um, he's all I've known as a Pittsburgh Steelers at quarterback, uh, you know, since I was playing and obviously since uh, I've retired. and. Uh, not only, you know, was he a great quarterback, he's been a great friend. And to see him uh, go off in the sunset the way he did, beating the, the rival Ravens in Baltimore and, and beating Cleveland at home, I mean, there's no better way to go out. And, um, you know, I'm happy for him. Uh, it's a new chapter, but it's still I, – I still can't fully accept it until I see another number come out at quarterback when the season starts <laughs> later this year in September. So. uh it's been an honor for me to, to block for him and to see what he's done afterwards. His longevity, especially with the way he played the game, uh, with reckless abandon almost and see how he, he was that quarterback coming in and see how he evolved as a quarterback, uh, later on in his career to becoming more of a gunslinger and staying in the pocket a little bit more and to see his maturity and, and re going through progressions and just to see his evolution as a quarterback was, was a pleasure for me to see. And, you know, I'm just honored and I'm happy for him that he, he gets to enjoy his time with his family after a tremendous and, and for sure first ballot Hall of Fame career. Trey, let's go back to your days in high school and college, because as I mentioned in your intro, you started out at tight end. Was that the position you always wanted to play? So, look, there's, there's a story going along with that. I thought I didn't even, when I came out of high school, I thought I was going to play tight end. There was this tight end at Purdue by the name of Tim Stratton. He was Drew Brees' favorite tight end. And um, he caught like 80 balls uh, in college when it was unheard of for college just to be the number one receiver for a quarterback. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to Purdue. And there was a recruiter by the name of Rock Spack 
who came and laid down the law basically to high school. He's like, dude, if we're going to recruit you, we're going to move you to tackle. I was like, what? I'm a tight end. I caught 50 balls my senior year. You know, you're like, you know what? Northwestern recruited me to play tight end. I'm going to go play tight end Northwestern. Well, what I did not know was how good the food was going to be in the cafeteria, you know, uh, <laughs> how much I was going to eat of that food. Uh, <laughs> and sure enough, that 250 turned to 280 real quick, and they moved me to left tackle, and the rest is history from there. So I was a tight end. I, I at least had a, a chance to catch a couple of balls in college in Big Ten football and uh, caught a touchdown versus Iowa. So I could say I played a little bit of tight end, and they showed me some love later on in my career, uh, my senior year, and had a tackle eligible play for me for my, I guess, uh, sacrifice from moving inside from the skill position to uh, the non-skill, which I have a problem with them categor- categorizing us old linemen as non-skill players. But uh, they threw me a bone, but uh, the story was written from there, and uh, I-, I wouldn't write it any other way. Uh, O-Lyman is where my heart is now, and uh, obviously, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, that's all I talk about most of the time. I have an affinity for the intricacies of O-Line, and, but those those chicken sandwiches at Northwestern were really good, so that was, uh, <laughs> that was the beginning of the end of tight end for me. Trey, your senior season there, you guys go and upset number seven, Ohio State, at home in overtime. It was the first time Northwestern had beat Ohio State since 1971. When you guys scored the touchdown to win it, what was that like for you? It was amazing. Um, so I knew all the history of Northwestern. And I, coming out of high school, I wanted to be a part of something, building a foundation that was on the rise. I didn't want to be part of a football factory in Ohio State or Miami or Notre Dame. I wanted to be part of something that was on the rise. And Randy Walker, uh, rest in peace. Uh, came into my house, recruited me, and said that you could be a part of something special. We have a good thing going. And it all culminated with that Ohio State game uh, where they were number six or, or whatever they were ranked coming into our house. We had never beaten them uh, at home. Uh, what's weird is it was exactly 33 years at a time. And the final score was 33 to 27. And the winning touchdown was by Noah Heron, who also got drafted to Pittsburgh, who was number 33, and he ran for 103 yards on his 33rd carry. So it was kind of weird how that all worked out, but uh, it was pretty amazing to see, to have my one experience of the crowd rushing the field and trying to tear down a goalpost. Uh, that almost never happens at Northwestern, and that was one of the few times it did, and, and that was a special moment in our career, uh, Northwestern Wildcats. And I still give him hell about it. Uh, all the Ohio State players can't. Hey, where he knows about it, I tell him every time I get a chance to talk to him uh, that we did beat them, and, and we haven't beat them since. But you know, at least I got that one my senior year, so it was it was a great moment. Five questions for Trey. Trey, it's great to have you on the show, and thanks for coming on. And, and when you came into the league in 2005. Uh, obviously we know how good the Steelers were that year and where they went. And, uh, you know, I'm looking down that roster. There were Hall of Famers on the roster. There's probably future Hall of Famers on that roster. Uh, so many big names and tough guys, Trey. But as far as guys that made it easier on you to transition from college to pro football, was it any offensive linemen? Who were some of the guys that had been there for a while that made you feel welcomed? Well, I got to start with the coach. I mean, Russ Grimm was the reason I was a Pittsburgh Steeler. One of the original Hawks from the Redskins. And, uh, I mean, he picked me out. 
to come be a Steeler. It was his choice to bring me there. And uh, he knew that I could thrive under the stewardship of a Marvell Smith and Alexanica and Kendall Simmons and a Jeff Harding. And uh, unknown probably at the time was Barrett Brook, who was the swing tackle at the time, but had uh, already uh, went through the prime of his career as a Philadelphia Eagle. And then my good buddy, Max Starks, who was in his second year at right tackle. So I had all kinds of great leadership, uh, ranging from vets and pro bowlers and future Hall of Famers to guys who had just gotten there the year before who kind of had learned the ropes and could relate to me a little better than maybe the, the vets could. So it was a, it was a total effort by that offensive line because there's a standard you come to Pittsburgh and play offensive line, uh, that you have to meet or they'll cut you. I mean, they don't have any qualms about it. Uh, you got to come in ready to play and you got to be willing to put in the work to be able to contribute to that greatness and not lower the bar when you go into play. Um, like you said, there were a lot of great players on that team. And the one thing you did not want to be was the weak link or the weak chain and the ultimate goal. And that's the one the Super Bowl. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to three in my career, but, uh, that was all because of the leadership of one, Russ Grimm, who is the greatest offensive line coach to ever live, in my opinion, and plus a Hall of Famer like Alan Fanica and then a Pro Bowler like Marvell Smith, uh, who I ended up playing four games at left tackle, and uh, I wouldn't have been able to do that without him. So you can name them all, everybody on that offensive line, and they all contributed uh, when I came in and were great leaders and great uh, role models. Trey, we often talk on this show, Chris and I, about uh, we're just amazed at how big guys like you were uh, and how quick they were, um, you know, not necessarily sprinters, but, you know, playing in the offensive line, you just have to have that quickness. Is that something you had to constantly work on? And what did you do, like, in the off season to, like, maintain that quickness? Well, fellas, we, we are athletes, too, you know. We are skilled yeah. big guys. <laughs> and, uh, the reason I think that I was able to adjust to the offensive line is because my first love was actually basketball. Coming from Indiana, the Hoosier State, uh, high school basketball was a bigger thing than football. And, uh, you know, I pride I took pride in how I played the game of basketball and how it actually helped with my footwork when it came to football. Um, obviously I had to get bigger and stronger, uh, to be able to go inside and block those big defensive tackles and be linemen. But, uh, I mean, Footwork was paramount. Um, you can lift all the weights in the world, but if you're not in the right position and you don't punch in the right place, you'll get beat up by guys like, and I used to practice against these guys like James Harrison and Aaron Smith, who were supreme technicians. They were strong too, but that wasn't their game. They knew what edges to hit, what spots to hit you, and they knew how to uh, detect if you weren't using proper technique and they would take advantage of it right away. So I learned real quick, fast, and hurry that I had to be about my fundamentals and I had to work on my footwork and keep on building on my athleticism when I got into the league. So uh, I couldn't take it for granted that I, I thought I was pretty athletic. No, it's something that you had to work on every offseason. Trey, when you got into the draft, were were you hoping to, just to get drafted? Were you hoping to go a specific place being from? Indiana, did you want to be a cult? What, what were your expectations going into the draft? No, I was a Steelers fan growing up, but there you go. Um, yeah, Rob Woodson is from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I used to go to his camp growing up. 
And so he was huge in, in, you know, being an example of what a professional football player looks like. And, uh, I mean, what better example than Rod Woodson, one of the best DBs of all time. And uh, he took an interest in me at his camp at a young age. And uh, even though back then I still thought I was an NBA player, you know, I, I took his words to heart. And um, I was ecstatic when the moment came when Coach Coward, because I was Steelers fan all through the 90s, Barry Foster, Mike Tomczak years, Cordell Stewart, Greg Laurie, LeVon Kirkland, like I can name all of them. Um, I was a huge fan. And so going through the draft process, I actually didn't think the Pittsburgh Steelers were interesting. I did go and visit them uh, after the combine, but I thought that it was either going to be Kansas City or Tampa Bay, or I think the Buffalo Bills were also interested. But uh, there was no better moment than on draft day. Uh, back then, they had all three, the first three rounds on one day. I'm thinking I'm not going to get drafted. I watch it from the beginning to the end of the draft. And the third round is coming. He's like, you know what? I'm about to go bowling. As I'm about to walk out the door, a 412 number calls, and it's Coach Cowell on the other end. And I tell everybody, you can hear his chin through the phone. Trey, <laughs> did you Trey Essex? Did you? Are you ready to be a Steeler? And my parents had never heard me cut. Fuck yeah, heck yeah, coach! I'm ready to be a Steeler. <laughs> and my parents knew right then that it was meant to be. It was a it was a great day in my life. And um, yeah, to be drafted by your childhood favorite team, I, I couldn't ask for anything better. And Trey, when you get to Pittsburgh, that was Ben's second year as a full-time starter. What was it like blocking for him at that point in his career? Because he extended plays, he was moving around the pocket. I'm sure you weren't, were never really quite sure where the heck he was or how long he was going <laughs> to hold the ball. Did that make it hard? Uh, yeah, very. <laughs> but you knew that something great was going to happen. So you knew you couldn't give up. And that, you know, it made me a better offensive lineman. Because in the Northwestern offense, our quarterback had to get the ball out in like three seconds. And so it taught you not to lack in your technique. It told you not to think that the ball is ever gone. You got to block maybe for four, five, six seconds because if Ben doesn't see the initial read, he's going to make something happen. And usually it's going to be something pretty great. So, yeah, it was hard, but it was well worth it because I got a couple of rings to show for it. And speaking of those rings, um, in 2008, the offensive line was kind of maligned in the media. I, I always remember Ben at the end of the Super Bowl up there on the podium holding the Lombardi trophy saying, who's laughing now, O-line? <laughs> what was that like for you to have Ben up there really showing his appreciation for what you guys did? And, you know, that's one of the great things about Ben. He knows how he plays. And he knows the perception that the media has and, and the sports writers give to guys who, because of the way he plays, may get sacked more often, may get hit more often. There's a lot of plays aren't the fault of the offensive line. We're, we are trying our hardest. So Ben knew that. We knew in our, in our locker room, in our offensive line room, what kind of job we were doing to help Ben succeed. And uh, it was a great moment for Ben on the biggest stage at the biggest moment in the world to call us out and give us our props when Sports Illustrated had us ranked as the worst offensive line going into the playoffs and not giving us a chance to win it, even though 
we thought we had everything that we needed and we did. And, uh, no, that was a great moment by Ben. And he understood that, you know, he may not be Drew Brees or Peyton Manning getting the ball out in two minutes, but he understands what kind of job we do as an offensive line and how it helps his job. And ultimately it led to the greatest prize in the NFL. Trey, take me through the range of emotions at the end of that game. When Larry Fitz catches that ball and takes it in for the go-ahead touchdown, and then the obviously the, the drive that Ben puts together with the offense to get down to the catch that, that San Antonio made to put you guys back in front, and then you know the last few seconds, obviously, uh, waiting for the clock to hit 0-0. Zero, zero. What was the range of emotions kind of like from the last two and a half minutes of that game? You know what? And, and folks may not believe me, or you guys. And yeah, it was a big play by Fitz. And all it did, we didn't get down, and we weren't overly disappointed. Like stuff like that happens. Great players make great plays, and he made a great play, uh, like he had so many times in his career. And we knew that we had a job to do. Whenever you have seven at quarterback, and there's time on the clock, which there was you know there's a chance to win the game. So everybody just got locked and loaded and went out there and did our job. Uh, there weren't, wasn't really a big range of emotion. Like, yeah, we don't have the comfortable lead that we had earlier in the game, and but we know we have more than enough on the sideline to go down and get the job done, and that's exactly what happened. Trey, in 2011, you actually played all five offensive line positions, including having to play center for the first time, I believe, in your career. In a game yeah. against the Rams, a game that you guys won 27 to nothing. And Mike Tomlin gave you a game ball for that. What was that like for you? <laughs> that was, that was pretty special for me because, uh, there was a lot that went on that year. I came in as a starting right guard, uh, went down with a high ankle sprain after two games. And, uh, it took me about five games to come back and I still wasn't fully healthy. Uh, Tomlin did give me my starting job back against New Orleans, but it just, I was in too much pain and, uh, Ramon Foster has shown enough in practice to know that he was ready for that job. And so I understood that I wasn't a hundred percent and I was not going to get a hundred percent playing on it. So when Ramon went in, I just did my best to help out the team. And one of the things that I had to do was make sure that I was position flexible. And, uh, although I had never played center before, I started taking snaps because uh, Pouncey had gotten hurt and then Doug Ligurski, our backup center, who I thought would never get hurt because he was pretty much indestructible, uh, got hurt that second play of that game. And, uh, Ben wasn't playing. Charlie Bash was the quarterback that game. And, um, having his calming presence, a veteran like that, who had seen everything in his career in Detroit and playing for Pittsburgh, uh, it really helped out a lot. And I was able to go into the game. Now, don't get me wrong. It made me nervous as hell because the center is no joke. You're, you're the beginning and start of every play. And in order for that play to be successful, the first thing that has to happen is you, you got to have a good snap. And we've all seen horror stories of what can, ha- what can happen when the snap is the quarterback and center exchange isn't good. And I did not want to be that guy when we were fighting for a playoff spot and, and against a team that, you know, every, you could, any team could be anybody any, any given Sunday. We saw that this year to the 10th degree. And uh, the Rams, even though they weren't having their best year, they had enough talent to beat us if we weren't on our P's and Q's. And I did not want to be the reason why 
uh, we couldn't uh, come out of that game victorious. And I ended up having one of my best games in my career. And uh, it was cool of Coach Tomlin to recognize my contribution that game. And it was uh, it was like the day before my birthday, too. Or it was in December. And uh, it just made everything special because my family was in town. I was going in to play after getting benched and hurt myself. And that, that game uh, is probably one of the best, at least personal experiences I've had as an NFL player. Bob, one more for Trey before we let him go. Sure, Trey. I just just wanted to get your memories of the city of Pittsburgh in general. You know, having spent seven years there, and Chris and I go back to the Roy Jarella and Jarella's Gorillas days, and just the, the rabidness <laughs> of the fans and and uh, the greatness and the and the blue collar um, mentality of that city. Did you feel that, Trey? And did get it really get a chance to bond with the fans? There is no city and no fan base better than Pittsburgh. I mean, the way that the, the fans rally around their sports teams, and not just the Steelers, but the Pirates and the Penguins, uh, it's like none other. And um, I've benefited even, I'm, um, what, 10 years post-career? And the following that I've, I've maintained and gathered on Twitter from Steelers fans, uh, I mean, only... Steeler fans would do that. And uh, Pittsburgh, the city goes as your teams go. I, I mean, as you guys know, like, if the Steelers lose, there's not, a, there's not a whole lot to do to, that evening. I mean, you guys go out and there's not a whole bunch of partying going on because the fans are so in tune with how the team plays. And it's such an awesome feeling to be a part of that and know that you can affect uh, a whole city by your play and it puts a lot of uh, accountability on you because you want to go out there and do your best for the fans and for the city of Pittsburgh. Trey, before we let you go, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media. Yeah, uh, Twitter account, Instagram account, Facebook, uh, Trey Day 79. I keep it pretty simple. T-R-A-I-D-A-Y 79. Uh, I'm always out there trying to, you know, share my opinion with others, get some insight to how us football players think, specifically how the O-line works. Cause I know there's not a whole lot of discussion, especially from commentators on any given game day, because they got to talk about the next play so fast about how the intricacies of O-line, uh, is played. And I want to be able to add to that and comment on that and help fans understand how things work. So. If you want to give me a follow on either one of those uh, platforms, feel free. Uh, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. You'll get nothing but the best from me. Trey, you're fantastic, my friend. We can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. We hope you'll do it again sometime. Stay in touch. Oh, no problem. Uh, please, uh, it was my honor, Bob and Chris, and keep on doing your thing. Had a good time. Thanks, Trey. Stay Take safe. Care. All the best to you and your family, Trey. We'll catch up soon. All right, thanks. You too. Good night. That is Trey Essex. Wow, that was fantastic. Boy, and, and, and I really, a guy that, um, I think would be fascinating, sort of pick his brain about technique and, and what we're seeing. If the offensive line is performing well, why? And if they're not, why not? Yeah, it seems like he would be a, a terrific offensive line coach, Chris. Just, uh, the, the experience he has talking about the position and, uh, the way he does it in such an erudite fashion, too. So, uh, it, he was a terrific guest. Hope we can get him again soon. I hope so, too. All right, we've got our next guest, Russell Baxter, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Russell right on the other side of this real quick station break.